Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Hello and welcome to Witch Bitches Review. I'm a Madonna costume that should be registered as a lethal weapon. Not that I would get in trouble for killing people with it because the American justice system is a fucking joke. Phoenix Arcana Lightwood. And I'm a juvenile delinquent who hangs out in graveyards trolling for gay sex and cigarettes, which I'm more likely to go to jail for than if I just straight up murdered someone in the street. Siren Rex Fry. This is the podcast where two actual witches analyze and review representations of witchcraft in media and pop culture. Today we are talking about the 1993 Disney classic, Hocus Pocus. Hocus Pocus was written by David Kirshner, Mick Garris, and Neil Cuthbert, and directed by Kenny Ortega, who also directed the High School Musical films and several episodes of the WB dramedy Gilmore Girls. I fucking love Gilmore Girls. Actually, speaking of Gilmore Girls, my partner and I are starting a Gilmore Girls rewatch podcast called The Star's Hollow Gazette. Oh my gosh. Premiering sometime in the very near future. I will keep you guys updated. Well, I'm I'm so going to listen to that. (laughs) We're really, really excited about it. So I did some digging into the etymology of the phrase Hocus Pocus, which is something we now associate with like magic or witchcraft a lot, possibly because of this movie. But um, what I found is really fascinating. So it's believed to be a perversion derived from this Latin phrase from Catholic mass, which is hoc est corpus meum, which means this is my body. So it's like part of like the whole communion thing. So it's a bastardization of like a Catholic religious phrase that was first used by like jugglers and like court magicians and stuff like that. And they would say it as kind of like a distraction so they could get away with some kind of pseudo magical bullshit while distracting people. Oh. Um, and then it kind of became slang for those kinds of people. So a hocus pocus was like a, a person who was like an entertaining magician or something like that. Oh. And it's related to a bunch of other phrases, which is what I found really fascinating. During the time, um, so around like the 1630s, when the phrase originated, it was one of several phrases that appeared in England that were sort of like rhyming phrases, and they all kind of meant the same thing. So Hocus Pocus is related to Higgledy Piggledy, Hurly Burly, Hodgepodge, all of that stuff. They all originated around the same time and have like the same consonants involved in the rhyming. Another thing that's interesting about Hocus Pocus is that the name of the dance and song, the Hokey Pokey, was derived, and from there, that turned into the phrase hanky-panky, which, as we all know, means a little bit of sex. So, that's some pretty fascinating etymology there, actually. Yeah, it's a lot more uh, contrived than I originally thought it was. So, I know this movie is a classic and has lots of iconic scenes and one-liners. I mean, I basically am Sarah Sanderson. You really are. <laughs> You're always making out with someone. <laughs> I I didn't totally live for this movie the way that I thought I would. I didn't really like it at first. And I might end up in the gallows myself just for saying that. But, you know, it is what it is. I remember it being better. Uh, but maybe that's because I really only ever think about the musical numbers. And I'm, this is going to sound super stupid because it's a Halloween movie, but it's too Halloween-y. Okay. I mean, I finished your thought, girl, but I just have to interject my disapproval. <laughs> 
It's just like the witches are these extremely over the top Halloween esque stereotypes, which is comical and entertaining, but at the same time perpetuates some negativity that I don't really care for. Also, the kids are annoying as fuck. Annoying to the point that I start rooting for the evil witches less than halfway through the movie. And when your villains are more likable than your heroes, there's a problem with characterization. And whether that's in the writing or the performances is to be determined, but you know, those are my two cents at the beginning. Were we not supposed to root for the witches? I thought this movie was the tragedy. <laughs> I love this movie and I always have. Always have. Even before I knew that witchcraft could be real, I loved this movie. Um, and I know my mom didn't like me watching it either. But I mean, okay, so I do agree that it perpetuates negative stereotypes, common, boring, negative, cliche stereotypes, honestly, about witches. It does do that. I know that doesn't, that doesn't get in the way for me for some reason. And it could be like a childhood nostalgia thing. I don't know. Or it could just be because I think those things were taken and made like so funny and campy and just iconic. Um, like everything the Sanderson sisters do in this movie is iconic. There, I can't even, there's, it's everything. Like down to each little spider they eat, you know, like it's <laughs> everything. <laughs> I understand the appeal. I understand how it's entertaining. I understand how it's iconic. And honestly, upon my most recent watch through, even the negative stereotypes of the witches didn't really offend me as much as I anticipated them offending me. But it's just like, at a certain point, it's so trite. And there are parts of it where it really does just seem like they're gallivanting around in Halloween costumes. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Being, the, the, talking about the witches specifically, obviously there are people in Halloween costumes in this yeah. movie because it takes place on Halloween. But if these are supposed to be real witches, like we don't dress like that all the time. You know? I mean, in our dreams maybe, but who has the cash? And I think it's, I think it's specifically the thing that started making me feel like it was really campy were Winifred's socks the striped socks and also like the purpley underneath part of her green dress. Cause Sarah and Mary's outfits were a little bit more believable for 1600s women. In my opinion, Winifred's was like gaudy. I mean, I think they're all gaudy. Like Sarah's sleeves are a lace spider web pattern. <laughs> are they really? I guess I didn't notice. They that. really are. I think all the outfits are pretty drag quite frankly and I think maybe that is why I love it so much because I'm I'm a big drag fan that's not um, a huge secret to me these are like three high drag queen witches in look and performance I mean there's a reason they're drag staples in October right like Chicago is a huge drag city the gays love the drags here almost every October every queen is dressed up as one of the Sanderson sisters I mean what else is there to do there's a reason for it for sure and I'm not saying that it's like a bad thing overall it's just something like about the movie that makes me be like well okay this is silly I get it I get it and I'm the first person to critique witch media for misrepresenting us but for some reason now maybe not like publicly or officially but in my heart I just can't denounce Hocus Pocus I just can't because it makes me happy and I really think that you do kind of root for the witches as the audience. And I think that's why the movie gets away with some of the things that it does. Mm -hmm. I mean, the witches are the top build cast. The kids are incidental. (laughs) Let's be real. Let's talk about what this movie is about in case somebody has never seen it. I don't know how that's possible, but... So, 
Hocus Pocus is a movie about three evil witches who rise from the dead on Halloween and want to suck the life out of children and use it to remain young and immortal forever. Fortunately for Salem, Massachusetts, two teenagers, a five-year-old, and an elderly cat are out to stop them. I think I remember reading that this movie's theatrical release happened in July. Correct. And it did not do well. Um, It was at first kind of regarded as a flop. Um, So I looked into, like, what went on there. So Disney made this and Nightmare Before Christmas the same year. Mm -hmm. And they released Nightmare Before Christmas in October to be kind of their Halloween movie. So they didn't want Hocus Pocus competing with it. But that being said, I just, I mean, I don't think it was the best plan because I think this movie released October 1st would probably have had a huge theatrical release with people going back multiple times to see it. Yeah. But released in summer, it just didn't really have that effect. I think I think it's weird. Because, I mean, Nightmare Before Christmas is, well, ha- at least half a Christmas movie. Um, <laughs> Hocus Pocus yeah. is literally the most Halloween fucking movie there is. So it's just so weird to me to think that they were like, yeah, July. That's it. <laughs> Halloween in July. It's like Christmas in July, but it's Halloween. You can have Halloween all year long. That's fine. So let's talk about the three evil witches that rise from the dead in this movie, the Sanderson sisters. Now we all know there are three types of witches, mean, slutty, and stupid. I happen to (laughs) encapsulate all three of those categories. Um, (laughs) That's factually true. Um, (laughs) Do you know, I think that's also like the same, like three types of gays. (laughs) Am I right? Am I right? Maybe it's a little bit, yeah. Maybe that's another reason it's a cult classic, because we all have to identify with one of them. (laughs) Uh, So Winifred, played by Bette Midler, um, is the oldest of the Sanderson sisters, and is by far, in my opinion, the most fleshed out character in terms of motivation and personality. For sure. She's much more complex than her younger sisters. While her motivations are clearly evil in nature, she also has, like, self-esteem issues. While powerful, she's sensitive about her looks, suggesting that she at least has the wherewithal to know she's not as conventionally attractive as, say, her sister Sarah. I don't think that makes her a redeemable character, but there's more going on with her than just hating kids. And I mean, I can relate to that, so obviously I identify with Winifred a little bit. (laughs) Her powers are more of an offensive nature, being able to generate lightning and move objects with her mind. There's a lot that goes into Winifred Sanderson being the gay icon that she is, and a large portion of that can be attributed to the astounding performance Bette gave us and that she clearly had a good time with the role. I mean, I think as soon as Bette Midler plays any character, they're automatically a gay icon. That's just because Bette Midler sort of is... how that works. Because Bette Midler is like the gay icon. The next of the Sanderson sisters, Sarah, played by Sarah Jessica Parker, who is you know popularly known for her lead role in Sex in the City. Sarah's key traits are being seductive and free spirited, but she does also have her dumb blonde moment. Sarah's dependence on being found beautiful may serve to establish she associates. Being being desired with being powerful. If a man wants her, she is automatically in a better position as she can use that to meet her needs. That doesn't mean she doesn't enjoy conducting herself in this way. I always find myself much more pleasant to be around after a good dicking too. So. Well, then you must not have had one anytime we've been around each other. <laughs> Sarah, she sings a beautiful song that lures children to the witches. That's kind of her function in their triad, which, well, uh, super creepy, obviously, is an interesting form of magic for a witch to display. 
say you would typically associate that kind of hypnotic thrall with a siren. And I was literally just thinking today while driving home from work, kind of all of the witches actually are sirens, but definitely Sarah. Um, There is an element of magical music to this movie, which is just another layer of great. But there's more than more than one instance of the witches singing and it having a magical effect. But we'll get more into that in a second. Yeah. So Mary is the uh, what who what I assume to be the middle child of the three sisters, played by Kathy Najimy. Mary, I think, would be the sister with the least amount of characterization, in my opinion. She seems almost less evil than the other two. Like maybe she just goes along with whatever they say. And that comes across in how cluelessly she behaves. And that may purely be for comic relief. Disney is pretty formulaic in their ensemble productions of having like a mean, sarcastic one and then a really, really stupid character. That's true. Um, and it could be nothing more than that. But her powers of are of a clear alien nature or of like a psychic sense of smell. I have never heard that word before. I'm so fascinated. Yeah, uh, the, the, the five Claire's are... Claire Aliens, which is psychic smell. Claire Gustance, a psychic taste. Claire Tangency, psychic touch. Claire Voyance, Claire Audience. And then Claire Sentience. So I think there's six. I mean, I've heard three of those. Um, Claire Aliens, fascinating. I think that would be a terrible power to have. But, uh... (laughs) Uh, Mary smells children and can determine things like sex and age without even seeing the person, and I think that's pretty cool. Um, but her whole thing is that she kind of has no clue what's happening, and while that's funny, it's also, like, a little sad. I do want to say, I think that Winifred basically drives the story. Um, and I agree with you that she's the most fleshed out character. Um, I think Sarah and Mary are also iconic and hilarious, but they are more of like minions and just kind of there to be entertaining. Without Winifred, like nothing would actually happen. I can agree with that. Yeah. I think maybe Sarah and Mary might be kind of evil, but they probably wouldn't do anything about it. And mm-hmm. I actually find that super relatable. <laughs> so I want to I wanna talk about where the Sanderson sisters are when we start the film. If you take a look at their circumstances, it's not really surprising where they end up. They're older, isolated, unmarried women that didn't fit into the conventions of society at the time. And this movie would like us to dismiss that as them just being evil, but I don't think that's all there is to it. It's probably safe to assume that there's some disenfranchisement happening with these women. Life for women in the 1600s was not a picnic. And more than likely, they still would have been hanged whether they were witches or not. Oh yeah, for sure. And you know, this movie is curious to me in that even when witches are portrayed as evil, uh, witch hunters and like witch lynch mobs are almost never portrayed as good, regardless of how evil the witches are. I mean, even in like this show Salem, where all the witches are devil worshipping assholes, like the witch hunters are no better. But in Hocus Pocus... The witch hunting mob, while in a very small scene, is still portrayed as, like, the good guys. And that's kind of weird to me. That's weird, Disney. <laughs> yeah, I, I 
I think that's really strange. And I think upon closer inspection that the Sanderson women have a lot more going on with them than just being like evil buffoons. Unfortunately, that doesn't really get explored, but that's what we're here for. Yeah. And I love that you bring this up because I think like this is really the heart of analyzing witch media in general. As so often we're looking at characters who are evil and do terrible things and portray like stupid, hideous, maybe even harmful stereotypes about witches and witchcraft. But we're still finding these like kernels of truth in the characters and we're able to expand on that and actually like tell a truth, tell a story about women and minorities and, you know, magical folk who've been persecuted throughout the years. Like we're telling a very important history of the oppressed here by analyzing things that maybe are problematic on screen. And that and like telling jokes about gay sex, like that is what we're here to do. (laughs) Uh, I I think, you know, part of the reason that this, it didn't get expanded upon a little more is that, I mean, first of all, it was geared towards children. It's a Halloween movie. It's more about them being witches than women. And I think it's honestly about misconceptions of what and who witches are and about the historical realities of why the witch trials happened in the first place. But you're absolutely right. The whole point of what we're doing here is to expand upon the things that are true and disconnect them from the things that are not. Yeah. And that's kind of our overall mission for sure. Yeah, for real. And in the case of the Sanderson sisters, we have a lot to work with. I want to start that right now since we're talking about all three of them as characters. I think the Sanderson sisters have some serious maiden mother crone vibes. Yes, which is something that we see a lot of whenever there are three witches. I I mean, I could go on and on about the maiden mother crone archetype in Charmed. I could, I could literally talk to you about that until you died or killed me. Um, (laughs) But so we'll get into it with the Sandersons a little bit. So for those of you who are unfamiliar, um, maiden mother and crone is a goddess trinity archetype that's often associated with triple goddesses like Hecate or Bridget. A lot of moon goddesses have a maiden mother and crone form or like a, a triad of three goddesses who fill all those archetypes. And this is this um, isn't like important to everyone, but it is a popular element of a lot of Wicca and witchcraft. Mm-hmm. So the maiden, which in this case would be Sarah, is known for being powerful, beautiful, sexual, free spirited. Um, and also, maiden goddesses tend to be goddesses of battle. We don't see that super much with Sarah, but I think she fits the rest of it pretty well. So here we're talking about goddesses like um, Bast, Artemis, Athena. Now, the maiden goddesses tend to be virgins, which Sarah... (laughs) 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 But other than that, I think she fits the bill. Not all the maiden goddesses are virgins. Some of them are lesbians. Um, So... (laughs) Did I just say that? You did, and it's staying in. It's because I'm sipping on this sparkling cherry wine, and it's delicious. Okay, so the next archetype is the mother, um, goddesses of creation, of protection, agriculture, um, the home, stuff like that. We're talking about, like, Demeter, Hestia, those kinds of people. For some reason, I can only think of Greek examples right now. I'm sorry. Um, so That's okay. The mother archetype would be played by Mary here. Now, we didn't mention this earlier, but Mary's main role in what the witches do to try and stay alive is that she brews the potions. So, to me, Mary is the kitchen witch, and I think her sense of smell even factors into that. Mm-hmm. And she's always, like, 
tasting things and eating things and stuff like that. And she's also the one who she is kind of the the caretaker of the group. Not that that trait gets to shine through as much, but Mary is very much the mother to me. And that, of course, leaves us with the crone. Uh, The crone is goddesses of magic, wisdom, and death. And that is Winifred Sanders, girl. Crone goddesses are older, and they have knowledge and experience, and this makes them more powerful. So here we're talking um, Hecate. And I can't think of anyone else but Hecate. (laughs) Uh, So we also have their book. And the book is named book. And just as in Charmed, the book is a character as well. But in Hocus Pocus, it's a little bit more literal. The book is has an eye and is basically sentient and capable of floating and flipping its own pages and answering Winifred's summons and beaming light into the air like it's a fucking echolocation. <laughs> um, so it's basically like Winifred's familiar and it's bound in human skin, which is a nod to the fictional Necronomicon invented by H.P. Lovecraft. And at one point, they say that the book was gifted to Winifred by Satan himself. They do say that at one point, yes. Um, But I really do think that you pointing out the maiden mother and crone archetypes is really important. Because that was a connection that I didn't make at first. Because I was so focused on some of the other silly things about the movie that I didn't connect it to, like, a lot of real stuff. And, you know, I think it's, it's even... It goes... The Maiden Mother Crone archetype is popular beyond witch media. I almost think that you kind of see it everywhere that you have a group of three women. Period. You can even see it in, get this, Gilmore Girls. Shut up. You sure can. Okay, so let's talk about the worst fucking part of this movie, the children. The kids! (laughs) Yum. Okay, Uh, so Max, who is played by Omri Katz, is the protagonist or whatever. Max really wants to be super cool at his new school, but it's not working because he's a loser white boy in the 90s. Um, I was also a loser white boy in the 90s, and I can tell you we are not and have never been cool. Everything is Max's fault because he doesn't believe in magic, so he lights the candle that brings the witches back to life because he's a virgin, and then he's a piss baby throughout the whole damn movie. <laughs> yeah, he's such a fucking piss baby. <laughs> so then we have Danny, a.k.a. the literal worst part of this movie. Uh, oh. Is Max's little sister and the damsel in distress she's played by thora birch uh and she has like the most viking pagany name ever and siren loves it it it, it's so cool thora birch she okay you can literally write her name with two runes (laughs) i mean that may be awesome but but she's really fucking annoying in this movie so she was 11 when filming Hocus Pocus, and Danny just wants to go fucking trick-or-treating and humiliate her brother, but I think she's the worst character. No, 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 I take that back. I take that back. The worst character is Emily Binks. <laughs> yeah, she, that bitch really got what she deserved. She really did. <laughs> fucking idiot. I don't think that Danny is the worst character. I think Max is the worst character. Uh, I mean, yeah. I think Thora Birch was just doing what she's supposed to. Okay, I'm sorry. There are several parts throughout the movie where I think she's clever and funny. She cried so many times. Well, she's 11 and she's been through a lot, you know? I don't, I don't care. Children crying is the worst sound only rivaled by children laughing. You know, I might, I might just like Thora Birch. And this was like one of her very first movies. She did like a commercial before this. And she was like the face of some kind of oatmeal or something. (laughs) 
Well, I don't know. Thora Birch being the Quaker from Quaker Oats aside, let's talk. <laughs> a- <laughs> let's talk about this other bitch. Okay, you just hate everyone. I will talk about Allison. Allison, who is played by Vanessa Shaw, is Max's crush, and she gets involved because she grew up in Salem and she's super into this witchy stuff. Um, Phoenix hates her because she's a know-it-all. She is, okay? She is. She's so very like, I'm a hot girl, pay attention to me. And I just hate it. Oh, I, I think that she's the only one of the kids who's tolerable. Okay, I can agree with that. And on my second watch through, I did like her a lot more. Okay, this, okay, so this asshole boy is like new in town and he's trying to impress everyone by hitting on her publicly. Like just using her as a prop basically to prove how cool he is. What the hell is she going to do? She's going to turn him down and act like she's better than him. And we stan. Okay? Okay, fair. We stan. Fair enough. We stan. Fair enough. And she's a high school girl who's really interested in witchcraft. And you know I've been there. Okay. So Yeah, we, we both would have been friends with her. We stand. We would have been friends with her. We would have been in a fucking coven. And it would have turned into some like the craft kind of bullshit. So I think that there is enough in this movie to support a fan theory. My fan theory. <laughs> That Allison will grow up to be a good witch. Allison is interested in witchcraft from the beginning of the movie. She repeatedly tries to read Winifred's book. She is all about that fucking book. She, yes, um, she is. She learns from it when she does read it that witches can't cross a circle of salt. And then she uses this knowledge against them at one point, which prompts Winifred to call her a clever white witch. Now, do I love the um, the racially charged phrasing there? Not super much. But uh, the point is that I think in that moment, Winifred verifies that in this universe, good witches can exist. And she sees Allison as one of them and possibly even a threat. And, you know, when the chips are down, Allison chooses violence and she has yabos. Um, <laughs> so we stand. I like the, that she could be a witch theory. And that circle of salt thing is true for you. It is. If you do anything with salt, it doesn't have to be geometrically perfect. I mean, if <laughs> I just, like, see the canister, I'm like... <sighs> okay, so let's talk about Thackeray Binks, which is basically just Zachary with a lisp. I literally thought it was Zachary for years. So he's acted by Sean Murray, who is in a very popular show called NCIS. But he was voiced by Jason Marsden, a voice actor with some serious credits under his belt. Things like The Munsters, Static Shock, Final Fantasy, Fairly Odd Parents, Invader Zim. And so for most of the movie, Thackeray's a fucking cat, right? We stan. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> and so... It's kind of weird that the actor that plays him as a human is not his voice actor as a talking cat. But the reason that happened is because the the producers didn't think that Sean Murray sounded uh, old timey enough. They thought his voice was too contemporary. So they dubbed him for the rest of the movie so he would sound like he was from the 1600s. But really all that resulted in was Sean Murray's mouth mushed up with someone else's words and it not looking very good. What I do like about this is that it kind of turns the trope of witches having a black cat on its head, whereas he's not the witch's familiar, but he's actually working against them because he's all mad that they killed his sister or whatever. But he's like way too interested in his sister. Like, who cares? <laughs> oh my God, you would take it that way. You know, there was no excuse for us to talk about incest in this one, Phoenix. There was no excuse. You did this. You did this. You did this. <laughs> 
You did this. Okay, I think this movie has an undercurrent message of, yes, your younger siblings may be annoying, but they're important and you love them anyway. And so you look at that and you think, bitch wants to fuck his sister. (laughs) I've had it. I've had it. But yeah, essentially, Sean Murray was dubbed because he sounded too contemporary and didn't look enough like a fucking colonizer. So... (laughs) So you can talk about these two bitches because I don't care about them at all. You do. So I, I real I well I care about one of them. Um so we have a couple of side characters here. Um and the first ones are Jay and Ernie. They are bullies who pick on Max, steal his shoes, <laughs> kinky, and end up getting locked in the witch's cage and forgotten about. Um, I, I just have to mention them because Jay, who's played by Tobias Jelinek, is so stupid hot in this movie. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Long blonde hair, leather jacket, a plaid shirt wrapped around his waist like a skirt, his obvious foot fetish, smoking in the cemetery. Oh my god. I'm so into him. <laughs> I would do anything he wanted in a graveyard, um, but that's that's not really new for me. What is it with you in fucking in cemeteries? Um, because that's how my first time went. <laughs> and honestly, the key word of, of that whole thing was stupid. <laughs> Ernie is played by Larry Bagby III, who plays Oh, I don't, ca- I don't care about him. <laughs> he plays Larry and Buffy, so I do care about him. Oh, yeah. Okay. So they're, they're definitely boyfriends. <laughs> yeah, no, after, after this traumatic experience in 1993, his family moved him to Sunnydale, California, and he changed his name. And then came out. And then died. Good for you, Larry. So then we have Billy, a decapitated zombie that Winifred summons from the grave to kill children. But like in a funny way. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And Billy is played by Doug Jones, who you might know as the sexy fish man in The Shape of Water. Billy was Winifred's lover, but she killed him for fucking Sarah. But Doug Jones is actually in a lot. More than likely, if you know who Doug Jones is, and you might not even know what he looks like. Because... Anytime he appears in something, he's in special effects makeup. He has over 170 credits on IMDb and has been in everything from Star Trek to Hellboy to Pan's Labyrinth to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. More recently, he would play the Baron in What We Do in the Shadows, and he's reprising the role of Billy in Hocus Pocus 2. He's been nominated for 21 Academy Awards and won 18 of them. Like, that's fucking insane. Yeah, that's that's pretty great. And it's really interesting that he's so good as like a special effects actor that we don't even know what he looks like. Yeah, it's because he's skinny and bony. And so... Mm, so he basically just looks like the Baron. <laughs> yeah. So how, how does this movie define witchcraft? I gave a little bit of thought to this. We'll get into it a little bit. Well, the Sanderson sisters don't necessarily get their power from the devil. They, When they do think that they meet Satan himself, they're happy to see him. They call him master and Sarah tries to fuck him. In the exposition, like we mentioned earlier, we we hear that Winifred was gifted her spell book by the devil. I, th- I think that this film kind of avoids giving witchcraft and magic any other connotation than what's depicted. It attempts to be straightforward, but here at Witch Bitches Review, we don't do anything straight. No! <laughs> and so I wouldn't call the Sanderson sisters, like, outright Satanists, but they're certainly not like the, hello, fellow white lightworker types <laughs> either, you know? Yeah. 
<laughs> Apart from the witches being fairly flamboyant and, you know, draggy in nature, there isn't a lot of subtext aligning with queer culture the way that we see in a lot of contemporary works depicting similar things. And I find this kind of interesting in the context because the witches are the antagonists as opposed to the protagonists where we see like the queer coding and practical magic and charmed and Buffy and things like that, where the witches are the good guys. And I, I just, I, I think maybe the writers probably didn't want there to be a lot of room for interpretation and wanted it to just kind of be cut and dry that magic and witchcraft were bad. Though the inclusion of the clever little white witch line maybe muddled that up a little bit. I don't think witchcraft is quite as multifaceted in this movie as it is in other things we've explored, but I also think that's open to interpretation. I, I agree with most of that except for not much aligning with queer culture i don't necessarily agree with i think this movie is very draggy i mean they basically put on like two drag shows they're i don't know the the hair the outfits the makeup it's very drag queen i realize that they're cis women but they're kind of dressed up as drag queens for this whole movie and they have very drag personas a, lo- a lot of drag queens when performing are just very, like, out there and crazy and, like, on a brand all the time. Mm-hmm. And th- so, to me, the Sandersons really have drag personas. And like I said, like, they show up at that party. And the first thing they do is steal the stage and do a little lip sync number. <laughs> and while I do understand what you're saying, I don't think it's intentionally expressed that way. And, I mean, obviously, subtext is subliminal. So... It doesn't have to be outright necessarily, but I feel like just in context, I maybe I don't want to maybe I I don't want to draw the parallel to queer culture because these are villains. I would definitely not say that there's intentional queer coding going on here. I would not say that. Um, I think that the that the creators of this film were probably at least unknowingly inspired by drag. Um, knowing, well, Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Kathy Najimy, they were probably consciously inspired by drag. Mm-hmm. Especially Bette. Come on. You know Bette Midler's been to a drag show. You know the bitch has been there. <laughs> yeah. But then I also see, like, I don't know. So it's because it's Halloween, they're sort of, like, accepted and lauded by the townsfolk. I mean, kind of the same way that, like, some people in corporations will pander to the queer community during Pride. But when it comes down to what they're really all about, it's rejected. I think there's still some queer metaphor here. Okay, I, I can see that. Upon further inspection, I can see that. What I don't love is the murdering children bit. Yeah, which is um kind of surprising for you. You know, I think you'd come down on the pro column for that. But well, listen, way to grow, Phoenix. I am pro-choice. Uh, <laughs> however. <laughs> Ooh, I love that's where your brain goes. Um, but, you know, I'm just not all for the predatory nature of how that's depicted. I don't love it. Yeah. No, it's gross. Uh, and this is only like a slight variation of that trope, really. They're not outright eating the babies, but they're sucking the life out of young children. It's like a Disneyfied witches eating babies it, kind of thing. It, they're not eating their bodies, just their souls. It's fine. In this movie, the witch's ultimate goal is to steal the life energy of kids, which kills them, and take it for themselves. The the theme is repeated in media representations of witches constantly, so often that not only is it offensive, but it's boring. We've seen it. The witch, the witches, stardust, chaos, all use this trope, and that's just off the top of my head. We, We get it. 
<laughs> we get it. Yeah. Like, We've talked about this in a previous episode already, so I'm not going to super get into it now, but I just want to reiterate. I'm probably going to have to reiterate this literally for the life of our podcast. But the myth of witches eating babies stems from midwives and abortion doctors. These people, while typically were not actually witches, just doing the best they could with the medical knowledge of the time, were often targeted as witches for failing to save someone or performing abortions. So, like, if a a midwife delivered a baby and the baby died, or if um, a medicinally knowledgeable woman helped another woman get an abortion... Like, the patriarchal religious society at the time would often decide that that made her a witch and that she deserved to die. And it turned not into a healthcare issue, but into a these women want to kill your children issue, and that's why it's okay that we hang them, burn them at the stake, whatever. So, this myth about witches eating babies is, yes, once again, related to pro-choice issues and also this makes the witches inherently evil obviously the sanderson sisters cannot land on cemetery ground because it's sacred and will kill them and when a girl dressed as an angel says bless you they scream and cry and honestly okay that part was funny though that part is really (laughs) funny um and honestly that's how i feel anytime a child talks to me so (laughs) all right so we went on and on and on and on about all those stuff we're just gonna and you know we're just gonna do our scene by scene thing now we're just gonna get into it like we're gonna i'm drunk (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna get into it phoenix get into it (laughs) so this movie opens with a point of view shot flying through the air over what we will soon learn is 17th century salem massachusetts stop it (laughs) i'm never gonna quit i think it's the funniest thing in the world and a bunch of ugly kids are fucking about early in the morning because there's witchery afoot and we hear sarah (laughs) singing her song in the background and i actually didn't notice this but in the first shot of the movie sarah like runs by thackeray's window um, mm-hmm. the first time I watched it, I didn't realize that that happened. But then when I watched it yesterday, I was like, oh, fuck. It's actually pretty creepy. Yeah, it's kind of creepy. It has like a jump scare quality. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, Thackeray wakes up and realizes that his sister is not in bed and chases after her because she's been kidnapped by Sarah, but he sucks at running and he falls down a hill. And so the, the witches gather around Emily in their, like, cottagecore aesthetic home Oh my god, they're so cottagecore. Yes. 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 And uh, Thackeray almost gets spotted. And this is when we get Winnie's iconic line. Oh, look. Another glorious morning. Makes me sick. And I noticed in this scene that Winifred does not have eyebrows. That's probably because this is where they're supposed to be all old and ugly and decrepit. Because they haven't killed a child to steal its youth lately. So after a bit of a kerfuffle with Thackeray, the witch's cauldron is spilled, but not in time to save Emily. Sucks to suck, Thackeray. A lot of the credible goofs and inconsistencies with the movie are about the opening scene here. So I'm going to talk about some of them. First of all, and I swear we talk about this all the time in Charmed, too, this movie has no concept of time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because it starts out early in the morning and five minutes later it's nighttime. (laughs) Um, like that happens and it's not like because it takes people a long time to get to the witch's house like it was literally down the hill it took old Thack here like seven minutes (laughs) 
Um, this other thing that happens is Thackeray, you know, just Kool-Aid mans right into their cottage and he tips over their cauldron, which was just like bubbling and boiling on the fire. But he like grabs the cauldron with his bare hands and pushes it over. (laughs) And that's just fine or whatever. Okay. It was an important moment. It was the adrenaline. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of stuff going on there. But what I actually want to talk about, um, in this scene is that, so... This movie is so dark right from the beginning, and they use silly acting and silly music to make it somehow seem okay. But remember that this movie was for kids, and in the first five minutes, a little girl is murdered, and then the three adults who murdered her dance around her dead body singing. <laughs> Like, the, like, there's literally dead Emily, the dead little girl in the chair, and they're, like, soups happy about it. And we're like, oh, yes, a charming movie for children. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's pretty dark. And as It's really dark. As these murderous women rejoice in their conquest, they turn Thackeray into a cat with this spell. Jump back. Twist the bones and bend the back. Here to decapitate American mystic. Turn him of his baby back. Here to decapitate American mystic. Give him fur black as black. Just This is Misspelled, the part of the show where we critique the spells used by TV witches and talk about how a real witch might do the same thing. Well, we wouldn't do this, first of all. (laughs) If I was going to turn anyone into a cat, it would be me. Yeah. Yeah, me. For sure. Yeah, no, 100% it would be me. So there are a couple of different acts of magic within this movie that could be considered spellcraft, and I think we're just going to talk about all of them in this segment. Oh, fun. Okay. We'll add more thoughts on them as we get to them and their appearance in the movie. Um, So apart from the spell that we just heard, the first thing the witches do is begin to brew their potion with very gross sounding ingredients like the oil from a boil and a dead man's toe. Along (laughs) with the blood of an owl and human hair. Um, And all of the elements of this potion seem to be inspired by the witch's potion in Macbeth, which isn't very original, but I guess in 93 that felt really innovative. It was more innovative in 93, for sure. Um, Now, these aren't ingredients that you would find in a real potion by any means. In ye olden days, folk magic practitioners would give plants names based on what they looked like. For example, I think the sweat of a newt or an eye of a newt is mentioned in the recipe. And that's actually an older folk name for mustard seeds. Um, And some people choose to use animal parts in their practice, and that's totally fine. But most of the time, they aren't going around plucking out eyeballs. And most of the time they aren't, like, throwing animal parts into a cauldron and then drinking it later. (laughs) Or force-feeding it to the child they've kidnapped, I hope. Also, all of the spells and ingredients rhyme and are kind of rhythmic, which is fun and can serve as a way to raise energy. That's a real thing. Now, so there's this theory that I've read, and I've mostly read it in, like, occult books with, like, um, no scholarly oversight. But let's mention it. Um, So... Some people have theorized that ingredients for, like, witches' spells and potions were given different names to sort of, like, 
throw people off the scent or mm-hmm. whatever. Now, like, I mean, if you, like, I don't know, saying I have Newt or Dead Man's Toe or something like that, that doesn't really say, oh, this recipe is harmless. It's just, like, a Sunday casserole. I don't know. Allegedly, there are some, like, names for magical herbs that were made to sound innocuous so as not to be suspicious if people found your writings. Again, I don't, I can't verify that, but it's a theory that's out there. Now, in the spell that turns Binks into a cat, I think what Sarah and Mary are uttering in the background is just gibberish. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, but I do really enjoy the rhythmic nature of the incantation. And that's something that I actually do incorporate and is a pretty common style of chant and manifestation practices. Um, so that's that's accurate enough. Also, they cast that spell in tandem. So it's all about like raising energy with your sisters. Yes, witches. Yes. Also, yes. on several occasions... We hear the witches cast spells via song. First being, I put a spell on you, and then come little children. And they also sing this weird little thing before they're hanged, where they all harmonize and sing about mercury and spitting on tables. And, and you know, that could just be because they're all, like, um, like talented actresses who can sing. Um, especially Bette Midler. I mean, if you're going to put Bette Midler in a movie, you might as well have her sing. Yeah, she's singing. <laughs> like, like what, the, what the fuck are you doing? I, I find the musical aspect of this pretty interesting though i think there's a lot of fascinating connection between music and magic and you honestly probably know more about this than i do even the way that we describe vocalists we say that they're enchanting fascinating alluring um all these words that have like magical connotations and music and magic is more of a popular trope than you might think Um, So much so that there's a connection between music and magic and a lot of fantasy media. Think about, like, the archetype of the bard. Like, there are video games and shows and movies where there are literally practitioners of magic whose powers stem from music. In a lot of Puritan cultures, music was outlawed for being, like, connected to the devil or having too much of an effect on the human body, being able to stir the passions or whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't practice a ton of music magic, personally, which is surprising. Those two things have always been very separate for me. Uh, My spiritual path and my sort of creative pursuits have been very different. But I do sing to charge potions and crystals and stuff. I have a couple of spells where I sing. You know, I just find the musical stuff really fascinating. Yeah, I think it's super cool. And it makes some great scenes. It makes for great scenes. And actually, that was really innovative. I think that that was really interesting and not something that a lot of which media had ever done before. And I find the the rhythmic nature of the spells that they cast and the musicality of the spells that they cast to be really interesting. Although I wouldn't ever want to cast spells like what they do. Um, I, I would incorporate that style of casting and actually plan to incorporate that style of casting after doing this episode. So every time they sing for a spell, it's it's kind of for the same purpose. It's for like uh, mind control or persuasion or influencing someone to do something. Something like that. Because um the party scene where they sing, I put a spell on you. You know, they, they get all the adults in town who've all gone to the same party, losers, <laughs> to, you know, they stay at the party and dance forever. They're under a spell. They can't stop. And then the other thing is that Sarah sings um, Come Little Children twice, actually. And that, you know, is her siren song. It, like, lures kids to her. And I, I think that's actually what really fascinates me about it, because music magic is typically portrayed that way in media, that bards have 
a power to fascinate, enchant, and control people. I mean, if you think of like fairy tales like the Pied Piper, he uses music to control the rats, you know? Thinking of music magic as a method of control is something that's really fascinating and probably dates back to myths like the siren. Yeah, 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 exactly. While there's no way to transmogrify a human into a cat or brew a potion to suck the life out of a person, in my personal opinion. God damn it. Um, I think that the way that they cast these spells, the functionality of the spells is something that you can incorporate to make actually work for you. Yeah, there's like, there's hand gestures, there's singing, there's ingredients, there's potions. It's fun. (laughs) Yeah, magic should be fun. Even if you are terrorizing a small village. (laughs) Misspelled. Anyway, the witches done die, and we see their hanging feet, which is super fucking dark for a kid's movie. Yeah, it's dark. We zoom out, and then we're in present-day high school, unfortunately. Um, and a teacher, like, totally pelts a girl in the fucking face with a streamer, and everyone laughs about it. Uh, the 90s, you know. <laughs> Things were easier back then. A simpler time. Teachers could abuse their students openly. Yeah, so Max is a super huge douchebag, and that's kind of his whole thing. But Allison sure puts him in his place. <laughs> you hate her. I love her. Um, side note, I read this on IMDb, but in the opening scene, Max is wearing a tie-dye shirt, so 90s. The colors on the shirt are green, purple, and red, which are the same colors as the three witches' outfit. Oh! Isn't that interesting? What a little thing. That is a, a very little thing, but that's really, really cool. I think we're very quickly meant to start drawing parallels between Max and Thackeray. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's so the point. It, that's it so is. the point. As soon as the movie starts, that's exactly <clears throat> what we're getting. Max has to look after his sister on Halloween, even though he wants to bang his drums and beat his meat onto that pillow, which is like <laughs> a total bummer after getting his shoes stolen in the cemetery after school. By that hot bully. <laughs> but despite his like slightly obsessive behavior about allison uh max goes trick-or-treating and they go to allison's house and her parents are rich and very clearly do not care about her at all so they sneak out to go to the sanderson's house this fucking stupid bitches this okay there's like some definite plot holage going on here but like you know without it like what is the movie Mm -hmm. um but so they go to the the witch museum, which is the Sanderson's old house, because Allison's mom used to run it. And I'm sorry if you ran that Cracker Jack museum, you would not live in a fucking mansion, bitch. But whatever. <laughs> do you know what East Coast housing prices are like? Anyway, but the museum is closed down, which is why it still has all of its utilities connected and why the door is not locked. <laughs> So Max has to be the stupid white guy in every movie that always fucks everything up and he lights the black flame candle that would revive the witches. More plot holage. Okay. The witches are all three murdered. How does their house and all their witchy items survive the Salem witch trials after they're dead and not there to protect it? How? How? I don't know. How is their book... like? All their stuff, there's like potion ingredients, their black flame candle, their literal spell book, all preserved in their witch cottage. And like, I'm sorry, that all would have been burnt to the ground. It all would have been burnt to the ground. It would not exist. But, you know, whatever. Plot holage gives us the movie. Yeah. So it's funny how Sally and Jillian needed whipped cream and hectates to bring someone back to life <laughs> in Practical Magic, but fucking Max Needle Dick Dennison just had to light a candle. <laughs> 
But I actually do like Allison a lot. Uh, on my second watch of the movie, I actually did start to really, really like her. The witches come back from the dead, and then the fun times really get started. They're super predatory towards Danny. And see, this is a scene where I really like Danny, though. They all hide when the when the witches come back to life, but then they find Danny, because, you know, because Claire aliens can smell her, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and Danny, she's dressed as a witch for Halloween, so her little mind thinks, well, I'll just pretend to be a witch and say that I brought them back on purpose. I think that's pretty clever for a little kid. And she's, like, all into it. And she's all like, oh, I'm one of your sister witches. Ha, ha, ha. So Danny and Allison going to have a coven, and they're probably going to, like, alienate themselves from Max, and, like, Max and Danny won't even speak 12 years from now. That's where I see this going. I mean, we're about to find out in 2022, so... That's true. Fine. We're going to find out what happened. That, okay, so there's a thing that happens here. I, you said in the beginning that you didn't think that Mary was as evil as the other two. But as soon as she finds Danny, like, Mary is literally all about eating that bitch. Like, she is Winnie the Pooh and Danny is a pot of honey. Like, it is all <laughs> she cares about. She says this phrase, which lives rent-free in my head. Do you know how sometimes you'll be, like, at work spacing out and then, like, some random bit of media will pop into your brain and echo 300 times? Sometimes when I'm scanning people out at work, I just hear Kathleen and Jimmy saying... Shishka baby. (laughs) Sarah proceeds to say some really inappropriate things about Max uh, before Winnie tosses him around a bit. And Max summons the burning rain of death because he's great and powerful and no way has a small penis. Um, (laughs) And then everything proceeds to scare the sisters from that point forward. That's hilarious. There is a a lot of starting here with them not understanding the the fire safety sprinklers. There's a lot of them not (laughs) understanding the modern world, which I think is very well executed. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we talked about this same thing in one of our Charmed episodes. There's a villain and an ancestor that don't understand the modern world. And it's also played for comedy. Um, In Hocus Pocus, it's much funnier. (laughs) Yes. When the fire trucks come and they all scream and run away, that's like one of the most hilarious things in the whole movie. For Um, sure. I think, so the children escape. And the sisters fly after them. And I think the flying effect actually looks really good. I think the wire work is really good. I think the flowing cloaks and stuff. I think it looks fantastic. Definitely Um, a big portion of the budget went to the flying. And fun fact about that. Apparently their system for doing so was pretty good. Um, In an interview, Sarah Jessica Parker said that... Um, flying on the broom was so comfortable that she wouldn't even get off of it between takes that she would like take a newspaper or a magazine up there with her and hide it in her cloak. And when (laughs) they weren't filming her, she would just stay in her harness on the broom. Oh, that's awesome. And that's not normally the kind of thing that you hear Mm -mm. from that sort of thing. Normally people hate that stuff, but maybe something about the broom made it better i don't know i know i always feel a lot better when i have a long piece of wood between my legs holy jesus christ the sisters get very lost and confused in this strange land and are confused by the kids in costume but then get really excited to see their master the devil and these three little girls while they're inside the devil's house um these three little girls come and steal the sisters brooms and fly away and i want to know is the flying power in the broom or in the witches? 
I'm not really sure. Well, we don't see the girls fly away, but there's like the sound effect mm-hmm. suggesting that they do. And I don't know if you noticed this, um, but I didn't until my last watch through. But the um, the three little girls are actually dressed up as the Sanderson sisters. They yes, they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, listeners, if you do notice a difference in my mic quality, I just had some technical difficulties and had to switch to my built-in microphone, so I apologize for any inconvenience or lack of quality that you might experience. I also might delete this section if I make it sound really good, because I'm super fucking good at my job. Yeah, you are. Also, we know this podcast is literally always high quality. Okay, so there's this really funny part after the kids escape and the sisters are, like, out in the modern world and they don't know what the fuck is going on. Um, Winifred is all like gung ho, let's find him and kill those bitches. And then Mary says, Sister, let's form a calming circle. And that part to me is one of the funniest parts of the movie. And I think it's funnier if you're involved in like the new age spiritual community because I, I'm, I'm sorry, that is so new agey. Um, <laughs> calming circle, that is, that is not like, that's not antiquated witchcraft. That's so new agey. And it's, I think it's just so funny. And it almost sort of like mocks those people. I suggest we form a calming circle. Yes, you're, you're good at her. Um, and actually, this is probably a good part to mention. Um, there was an interview that Kathy Najimi did in 2015, where she said that she almost didn't take the role of Mary because she was afraid of offending real witches by playing the character, which is pretty ahead of her time. Honestly, I think I could see someone thinking that in 2015. But you know, this movie was made in 1992, 1993. So like for Kathy to be aware that there were like actual witches out there like fighting for respect and like take that into consideration when she was accepting the role for this movie. I find that fascinating. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. It is. Now, of course, she did go on to, like, you know, play a stupid, hungry, child-eating um, character of an evil witch, but in a way that you know, some, some of us like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but if it, honestly, if there were anything that might actually be, like, really offensive to witches in 1993, it's probably this calming circle joke, and that's why I like it. <laughs> the kids, after escaping the witches because they're busy doing their calming circle, They go to their parents, which is a stupid idea because parents never believe their kids when something supernatural is going on at Joyce Summers in the season two finale of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And the band at this party is playing Witchcraft by Frank Sinatra, which is just like a classic move. Oh, that's something about this movie. There's so many nice little touches like that. And then it happens. The only part of this movie worth watching Bette Midler singing I Cast a Spell on You. Ugh. And this is the point when I really start to root for the witches over the kids. I'm oh, Okay, so I Cast a Spell on You is fantastic. It is, I don't even, and there's so many good parts of this movie, I don't even think I can say something like the best part of this movie. I definitely don't think it's the only part of the movie worth watching. I can't agree with you there. But it is fucking iconic. And I just think it's so funny that this is the part of the movie where you start to root for the witches. You can't help but love the witches. I think that's kind of the point of them. I think it's how it succeeds as a children's movie, even though they're clearly, like, child-murdering assholes. But I also think there's this, like, cognitive dissonance this movie creates in audiences where we don't want the kids to get murdered, but also we want the witches to win. 
Like, yeah, like we're sort of like political centrists at this point. <laughs> like the kids are like, we just want to live. And the witches are like, we just want to win by killing children. And then you and I, like gay witches out here in the 2020s are like, compromise? <laughs> <laughs> so um, Allison decides it will be a wonderful idea to set three ladies on fire in a color me mine kiln um and what the actual fuck is a kiln doing in a high school okay that part that's that's a bit of a stretch to me and also really dark but i can see so i've seen high schools where they have like smaller kilns like the ones that we had at the college that i went to but i can't imagine a high school that has a full room kiln i mean that is just asking for, like, some teenage murder. <laughs> yeah. And just, yeah. No, like, truly. And the fact that they could, like, get people into it and just lock them in and turn it on while the school is closed. The fact that it was so easy for these 15-year-olds to kill someone with the heat room of death. <laughs> it's just, that does not belong in a high school, and I don't believe that actually exists anywhere. It's kind of unclear to me why this plan didn't work, why the witches didn't die. But also... What were they going to do with those bodies? Just leave them there, I guess, for the art teacher to find. <laughs> like, Ew. what was the plan? What was the cleanup? They go outside and immediately start celebrating without checking that the witches were dead and without any sort of plan of how they were going to dispose of the evidence of the crime they just committed. I think you asked an even more pertinent question, though, as why didn't this kill them? And I don't think that's really dealt with so clearly they can be killed by hanging because it happens but then are they immune to fire because they're on this time limit spell that brought them back to life or are they always immune to fire and then which is being immune to fire is not super canonical because they used to be burned at the stake and shit it's unclear it's unclear why the kiln doesn't kill them and actually just apparently makes them tired and singes their clothing <laughs> i i think the deduction that I made as I was finishing it was that it was because of the spell that brought them back to life. They could not be killed until sunrise the following day. But that's never explicitly said. There's no reason that is explained in the movie. They say they're on a time limit to get some to get some dead kid juice so they can stay alive. Dead kid juice. Siren. Really? Is that the episode title? <laughs> Ew. <laughs> but, uh, you made me lose my train of thought, bitch. Back at Max's house, Allison finds something that would be helpful by doing something really stupid. Um, you know, at this point, the witches are basically defeated. They went back to their house and they're like, well, let's just sit here and wait for daylight to die together. <laughs> but then Allison is all like, I am going to open this book of witchcraft and start reading out of it because... I'm a fucking occultist whore. Mm. And uh, so she does. But of course, that makes the book shoot up a beam of light in the air. And then the witches know where the book is. And then suddenly they're like motivated to kill kids again. <laughs> One of my favorite lines happens when the witches leave the kiln and go back to their house. Where Winifred is like all distraught because she thinks they're going to die. And she's like, Mary, take me to the window. I wish to say goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye, cruel <laughs> world. Goodbye. I say that all the time. Anytime I'm leaving somewhere, especially work, I'll like look at my coworkers and I'm like, goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. They almost think you're so interesting. 
I had one of them tell me that I was very charming today, thank you, because I am a delight. You're all right. Yeah, so the witches have no brooms because they were stolen by three little fucking crotch goblins. Uh, and so they have to fly on mops and vacuum cleaners. Well, of course, Winifred gets the broom because... She knows she's the oldest, but they've basically just raided the supply closet at their house. <laughs> yeah. It's still funny to this day, but I can't, I can't, I can only remember the first time that I saw Kathy and Jimmy come flying out of that house on a vacuum. I swear to God, literally anyone who ever watched this movie burst out laughing <laughs> the first time they saw it. Everyone. It's iconic. And I don't even think that that has been repeated, like, ever. It's so funny. Um, Sabrina the Teenage Witch has a vacuum cleaner. Really? I guarantee it's, I guarantee it's not as funny. It's not as funny. Um, she stands on top of it and it like sparkles at the bottom. It's not as funny as when she's like, broom ho! And swings and like slaps her real hard in the vag and she's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why, that's why I had the question, is the flying power with the witches or the object that they're flying on because they can fly on a vacuum cleaner? Who, who, I mean, I don't, we're never going to get the, the logical answer to that question. I just think that Mary on the vacuum cleaner is a high comedy. I mean, everything about it, it's making the sound. The cord is dangling. It's hilarious. <laughs> and the fact that it's Mary, I mean, okay. Like, Mary gets, like, stereotyped as the stupid one, but, I mean, sometimes it makes her, like, the most likable, hilarious character. And it's just so funny that they they created this um, dumb, whimsical character in her and then had her come out on that vacuum. It's her shining fucking moment, honestly. It's pretty good. It's pretty good, truly. The witches are on their way. And uh, Max and Allison are looking for some salt and there's a 7-Up product placement because there's some 7-Up in their fridge or their cabinets. Who keeps their fucking cans of soda in their cabinets? That, that doesn't make any it sense. Doesn't... I guess people making product placements. Um, but then the roof of Max's house gets blown the fuck up and the witches kidnap Danny. Blown the fuck up. Yeah, it explodes. How the fuck is he going to explain it to his parents? No, you know what he's Well, apparently do? he's not going to because later in the movie, like just a couple seconds later, there's a back shot of the house and it's still fine. <laughs> uh, but Sarah sings a song in the sky to bring all the children in Salem to to her. And it's all like, come little children, I'll take me away. And I, I think it's one of the most beautiful things. So, yeah, now that we're here, even though it's creepy because she's using her siren song to lure children to their death, I think this actually might be my favorite part of the movie. Um, this part is not played for comedy. It's aesthetically beautiful. It's so sky, beautiful. Yeah. The skyscape that she's in and the way the filming is done and the way that she acts it and the way she sings the song is really good. It's really good. If, if this scene was about something else, it would be like probably the best witch scene ever. I can agree with that. I would fully agree with that because the flowing of her cloak is amazing. Yeah. The yeah. way that she's like stroking her mop is like <laughs> 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 that might be the episode title uh, yeah <laughs> um the, it's just like i don't know there's something that really really gorgeous about it and it's one of the scenes other than the other musical number that has always stuck in, out in my mind because i'm yeah. i'm a singer right and anything that ever has singing in it was always something 
that captivated me as a child. And so the first musical number and then this were always the parts of the movie where I was like, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing in the whole world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, That's right. Yeah. And so I love that. The sisters thinking the son killing them when Max and Allison go to try to save Danny is really fucking funny. Is really fucking funny. When the car lights come in through the window and Max is like, daylight savings time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is. It's it is. so funny. And they are always pretty much just prepped to give up and die at the slightest bit of new information. <laughs> Me on a daily basis. I'm, yeah, like, girl, same. <laughs> um, but here's the thing. It, like, after Max, Danny, and Allison all escape, there were so many children coming to their house. If they had just let them go long enough to kill them later, they would have had... Plenty of life force to steal. Correct. Yeah, but didn't they like? Then I don't know. Didn't they like, like piss them off or something? Yeah. Like, well, those no, dumb things. Danny, where you like pro- provoke the villain into acting stupid. Danny called Winifred ugly, and Winifred is really sensitive about her um, looks. Yeah, she is very sensitive about her looks. That was not very feminist woke of you, Danny. No, it was. She's very sensitive about the way that she looks. She's sensitive. We're, We're all beautiful in our own way, and all bodies are good bodies, even with teeth like that. Um, <laughs> But yeah, if they had just let them go for like 24 hours and just went to find them later, they stay, they live in that town. Where are they going to go? Like, where are they going to go? Where are they going to go? It's easy to backtrack and find their house. It's the one you blew up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But this leads to a showdown in the graveyard and the witches lose in the end. Surprise, surprise. Which is just terrible. I mean, of course, the, the funny vacuum cleaner ends up being Sarah and Mary's foil because, um... Who is it? Allison yeah. grabs the Allison grabs the cord and then like uses it to kind of trajectory them both into the sunlight and mm-hmm. then they just poof. They just poof into glitter. <laughs> they do poof into glitter. And Winifred has fallen to the ground in the cemetery at this point, and that's why she turns to stone first and then explodes. And then explodes into glitter. The, st- the stone, th- I don't know, the stone thing was kind of interesting. It was a pretty good effect for 93. I think so too. But at the same time, you're just sort of like, why? But I liked it. I, like, I mean, if I could, like, get my hands on, like, a stone tablet of, like, Bette Midler dresses Winifred that looked like that, like, I'd put it on my desk, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, that's your fucking crone statue yeah, this, on your altar this, yeah yeah oh that would be my goddess figurine yeah it's very aesthetic <laughs> uh yeah so final thoughts do we have any final thoughts uh what do we like what do we not like about this movie it seems like siren you're pretty unanimous unanimously on the side of this movie is great i i am i really am and i know there's you know throughout this podcast i have always been the one who picks everything apart and like finds the negative and everything and I do it to charm so comfortably, which I love. But somehow I just can't, I can't do it to Hocus Pocus. And maybe, I get maybe the difference is that I don't think anyone watches Hocus Pocus and thinks they're learning about witchcraft. That's fair. Like, like that's not the vibe. So maybe it feels more harmless to me. It's still perpetuating stupid stereotypes. And it, yes, it still does affect the like public cultural consciousness of what witchcraft is. It does. I get that. But I don't know. I think that the, the joy that I get from it just kind of outweighs it. I think that's what it is. And so I'll be aware of the problematic aspects. But I can bracket them off and still enjoy 
the movie. I mean, I can watch the movie all the way through, like, without my sociology of film brain turning on and ripping it to shreds. And I guess even though we're doing a podcast on it, I guess I just still didn't really want to do that. <laughs> we we struggled with our review of Practical Magic because there wasn't as much to rip apart. But we don't always have to, like, tear something down in order to find meaning in it. Yeah. But yeah. that's where the comedy part of what we do comes in. And so right. we're never trying to, like, make fun of somebody's work or, like, diminish the love that we have for these projects. It's just, like, insult comedy. It's what we do. Well, I mean, I'm. it's a little bit that. I'm certainly... I never want to ever make this statement that, like, something is wrong with you for liking this media. Right. Like, like that's, that's never what I'm out to do. Ever. Even if I am ripping it to shreds. Exactly. I genuinely... Okay, so I watched this movie, and I was like, wow, I really didn't like that. And then I watched it another time, and I was like, uh, I don't know how I feel about it. When I watched it yesterday to prepare for today, I actually really enjoyed myself. And it just took me sitting down and actually paying attention rather and not turning on that like what's wrong with this movie part of my brain. Do you think that's that's what it was? Yeah. That preparing for the podcast made you look at it differently? Yeah, preparing for the podcast made me look at it differently. And I wanted to try to find deeper meaning in it, but maybe it is just campy and draggy and fun. And that's cool too yeah um so you may have noticed listeners that we've had a bit of a gap between our podcasts lately that's not um characteristic for us and a lot of that is because phoenix and i have been going through a lot of dramatic life stuff but at the same time so i really struggled working on this i could not find my motivation and i would sit and look at my laptop and just not come up with anything and now that we're here i think it was really my reluctance to do my typical thing with this movie that i've loved since before i loved real witchcraft i think that's maybe what held us up a little bit so my kill of the day is actually sarah for how dramatic she is winnie goodbye (laughs) (laughs) um i think my kill of the day is that spider (laughs) that's when sarah says oh what a pretty spider and then she eats it (laughs) i fucking love that shit (laughs) kill of the day if I were going to rate this movie, I would give it an elaborately choreographed drag number for sure. Well, that's a pretty hard rating top. If I had to rate this movie, I would probably give it one heartwarming thematic message about loving your family no matter how terrible they are. Hmm. And sucking the lives out of little children. <laughs> yeah, or like one dead girl five minutes into a kid's movie. Is that a rating? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, at, during the time that we're recording this in 2021, Hocus Pocus 2, a final sequel that they have been teasing for years, is actually in production. And Bette Midler, SJP, and Kathy Najimy are all coming back to reprise their roles as the Sanderson sisters. Which... I think it's pretty fucking phenomenal, and I am super excited to watch this movie. Um, There have not been a lot of details released about it, other than apparently um, the enemies of the witches this time are going to be three, I think it said like college-age young women. So I think the movie's going to be aged up a little bit. I'm just, I'm super excited for Hocus Pocus 2. Like, no no matter what it is, I'll be excited about it. Um, We know that Doug Jones is coming back to play Billy. Um, We don't, I think that's all we know about characters at this time. But, so, there's been some commentary out there 
that is really stupid that I wanted to address since we're talking about Hocus Pocus. People all over the internet, especially that just narcissistic hellscape we call Twitter, have been talking about how the three lead actresses are too old to play these parts now. What? Oh my god, you haven't heard about this? No. Like, people people are literally tweeting directly at them that they are too old to play the roles that they fucking created. It's, there's so many things wrong with this. It's ridiculous. First of all, if you're going to have a Hocus Pocus 2 and all three of these actresses are alive, who the fuck else would you want to cast and why would anybody want to watch it if you did? Like, what? What? No. Absolutely not. This is not The Little Mermaid 2, okay? We can't just do whatever the fuck we want with new voice actors. Right? <laughs> this is Hocus Pocus 2. This is serious. Yeah, no, I didn't know about that. I haven't been keeping up with it super hard, to be honest with you. Um, But that's fucking dumb. I wouldn't watch it if anybody else was in it. Okay, Um, so Sarah Jessica Parker seems to be getting the brunt of all of this because she's also um working on a Sex and the City revival right now so like people are coming at her hard so much so that she um did an interview with vogue where she talked about it um so this is a comment from sarah jessica parker about um all of the internet comments about her aging she says it almost feels as if people don't want us to be perfectly okay with where we are as if they almost enjoy us being pained by who we are today whether we choose to age naturally and not look perfect, or whether you do something, if that makes you feel better. I know what I look like. I have no choice. What am I going to do about it? Stop aging? Disappear? Go off, SJP. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I'm living living for that. And I've always... I don't actually really know anything about Sarah Jessica Parker's personal life. I don't know who she is as a person, but I've always enjoyed her as an actress. And I think, I think she's great. Um... And it's just, it's such a double standard. There is never pressure for men to retire from, well, anything, really, but especially acting due to age. But for some reason, like, women, as soon as they are, like, over 50 in any way, they are either your elderly grandma or they better just retire. I first became aware of this on Pandora Box's Facebook page. So Pandora Pandora Box, um... The drag queen, who I follow and think is awesome, um, she posted her excitement about the Hocus Pocus sequel, and there are so many stupid comments on that post about the aging of the actresses. So many that Pandora started fighting with people herself. <laughs> Which go off, bench. I mean, I feel like a lot of people commented on Pandora's age on this most recent season of All Stars, too. So, like... And what the what the fuck is that? Especially since, I mean, like, let's be real, a lot of her fans are gay. So, like, gays... Like, I get that we have an obsession with youth culture and looking young and beautiful. But, like... But, like shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Don't let, like, your own, like self-esteem issues and desires for how you want to look turn you into a bitch to other people. I hate it. And um, that doesn't, that's not, none of this is really all about our analysis of Hocus Pocus. But since we were talking about it and I'm feeling fired up about it, I wanted to bring it up. So you're welcome. I think it's important that we did talk about it for a little bit. I think it's a good point to make in talking about um, this movie because it is fairly recent news and obviously 93 
2021. That's a few years. They're going to be older. Mm -hmm. And you know, I honestly think we can take this and circle back. Because what was one major thing that got women accused of witchcraft back in the day? Being too old. Yep. All right, Siren. Where can the people find you? Oh my god. You can follow me at Siren Spectacular on Twitter. You can follow my Facebook meme page, Siren Spectacular Non-Binary Meme Witch, or you can watch my Coven's YouTube channel, Millennial Incantation. You can follow me on Instagram at Phoenix Arcana Lightwood. You can follow me on Twitter at Phoenix Arcana underscore. You can follow the podcast at WBRcast on all social media platforms. And keep an eye out for my up-and-coming podcast, The Stars Hollow Gazette, a Gilmore Girls podcast coming very, very soon if you enjoy TV shows led by women on the WB, as I do. That that sounds super fucking fun, and I swear to God, if you don't let me guest star at some point, I will come to Chicago and kill you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you mean witches, you slutty witches, and you stupid witches. Keep on witching. And bitching. Bye. 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 Are you a good witch or a bad witch?